Welcome to today's episode with Anne Smith-Basco, who lives near Seattle, and Anne focuses on working with the elderly who's worked in hospital settings, nursing homes, outpatient settings, and she's decided to transition to primarily yoga therapy to have a more holistic approach. And I think a lot of licensed healthcare practitioners are finding themselves in this situation where working within the confines of healthcare these days is pretty traumatizing and difficult, and they want a little more freedom and a much more integrative and holistic approach. In today's episode, Anne and I go through all the different ways that a yoga therapist could help an elderly person. And that could be in a group setting, but it also could be individualized or tailored to that person. And of all the ways we discuss, my personal feeling is that the deeper layers of who we are as humans can be dramatically touched in a positive way. I was talking to one of our students at Optimal State who's taking our portion of our training, the business course. It's an 11-month portion. And she said, I think I want to make kind of my niche or my target audience elderly people. This is a, a different student, not Anne. And she said, but I need to take a few more trainings in chair yoga and bed yoga. And I said, no, no more trainings. You have what you need inside of you because what they need is connection. They need someone to listen to them and see them and give them meaning and purpose. I said, you have all that down. You can get on YouTube and watch a few chair yoga videos and figure out if there's some moves you want to have them do that day. But the primary purpose of you being there, in addition to walking better and breathing better and stretching and having a more balanced nervous system and mental state, all of that is great. But just working on them with the relationship between you and them and helping them to not feel so lonely and helping them to come to terms with how their body and mind are deteriorating. And there's no doubt about that. That's what we do that is so precious and sacred and that I'm not sure anyone else is doing for them. Maybe a hospice worker would do that the last 30 days of their lives. But what about that in-between decade where they're not really sick enough to be in a hospital, but they're not passing, and yet they're sitting at home lonely not connecting with the outside world anymore, and maybe not having a reason to get up in the morning. This is the sweet spot for yoga teachers to help the elderly. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really did as I'm watching my parents age. And I know Anne also has been going through that. She and I have been talking about our parents who live in Minnesota. And I hope you enjoy this. I know many of you are out there going through the same thing with your parents and wondering how you can help and support them. And maybe this podcast will kind of give you some ideas about things that might be appropriate for your parents. Okay, here we go. Let's meet Anne. 
Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. And we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast with my friend and colleague, Anne Smith-Basco. How are you today, Anne? Great, Amy. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for coming. I've been helping my father in his elder years recently, and I know you've been nursing your mom. And this topic that we're going to talk about today, which is using yoga and yoga therapy to help the elderly have a better quality of life, I think it's close to both of our hearts. We've been experiencing it in real time. Yeah. There's a stage for all of us when we have to start taking care of our parents more and more. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did you get interested in helping elderly people have a better quality of life through yoga? Well, when I was born, my mom and dad Let's see, dad was 40, about two weeks after I was born. Mom was, I think, 38. So I always had parents that were older than my friend's parents. My parents were both really good at making sure that we met and got to know our grandparents. So I was the youngest of four kids, and I spent a lot of time hanging out with the adults and sitting in the room with them and listening to their stories and because my dad had polio when he was a kid and he moved differently, I was always watching the adults move and noticing their skin and just noticing how special they were because they were just different than me. (laughs) That's so interesting how something like watching your father's body move differently as a child set you up for watching bodies move as a yoga teacher and yoga therapist. Yeah, I probably had a propensity toward understanding mechanics and how things move anyway. I remember when my mom bought a lawnmower when I was in high school, she said, can you put this together? And I did. (laughs) Wow. So those things make a lot of sense to me. And I, I see people move and I understand where the extra effort is happening. And I think it's a compilation of maybe some of my inheritance from ancestry and just being an observant seer of the people around me. So let's start right there because I think many people listening, whether they are elderly or maybe they are like you and I and are, I'm gonna say in our fifties, I'm not sure if that's right for you, but that is for me. And they're starting to see the decline in their parents and the extra support that's needed. I think let's start with the physical layer. And what is it that you help your clients with on the physical layer? Because that's where, you know, if you have a 50 year old daughter who wants extra support, 
for their parents. Maybe they hire you as a yoga therapist to go over once or twice a week and help the parents. What are the things you can help them with physically? Yeah. A lot of times it's unseen for the kids because they see their parents fairly often or like you and me, our parents are farther away. So we see big changes between visits, but they have similar mannerisms and they have their same intonations in talking. And there's a lot that's the same about them, but you might notice that a parent is tripping more or falling or dropping things if their joints are changing, or they might complain about things and you may tune in to your parents' complaints or you may not. So when I go in, I see how they're holding their shoulders. I notice if they're lifting their elbows very high, I watch how their weight shifts when they walk. If their gait is shuffling, there's, oh my gosh, I think seniors are probably the most complicated population to work with in many ways because they can have so many different things that go wrong with many systems that affect their mobility. Exactly. With my dad, he had many, many health things kind of break down simultaneously, but the one that's now lasted is his drop foot. And that's a really dangerous thing. If you have carpet, the chances of you not paying attention or him not paying attention and dragging his foot and falling are pretty high. So is that something that you could work with him on if you were his instructor in Minnesota? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Definitely trying to figure out what the source of the drop foot is. Is it something, you know, I've had people come out of maybe a hip replacement surgery or a knee replacement surgery, and they have some maybe drop foot, for instance, from the positioning during the surgeries where a nerve got stretched. Sometimes it's from a stroke. Maybe it's from something going on in the spine. So it's good to learn a lot about what's going on for them. If the drop foot is something that might be semi-permanent, you might have to look at bracing orthotics and maybe even an assistive device like a cane so that they can learn to be safely independent. And so when I hear you say all of that, all these bells go off like, oh my gosh, that sounds like physical therapy. I assume they're also working with a physical therapist. Many are, but surprisingly, some aren't. The healthcare system is so different now than it used to be. When I first started working, I did work in physical therapy. So I have that lens that I can't stop using. And I worked in Minneapolis at Sister Kinney Institute. And there was always like, let's get a custom made orthotic. Let's get just the perfect thing for this person. And now when they issue equipment to people, it's a lot more over the counter. Here it is, put it on. There's not a lot of training. And so I see myself as somebody who helps people understand how to work things that might be new in their life. Or one thing that has really motivated me with working with seniors is I was working in geriatrics for a number of years. And one of the things that I noticed is this person is like 80 years old and they don't know where their quadriceps are. Not that they need to know where their quadriceps are, but it's really helpful to know what part of your body moves another part of your body. (laughs) So I try to bring that in, not on a level where 
they need to memorize their anatomy, but to help them know that this part of your leg will help you stay strong or that part of your calf or this part of how you hold your shoulder will keep some of that pain down or will help you move better with greater efficiency. You know, I see that in elderly, but also just in normal people, like they don't understand their quadriceps are the main thing that's going to help them go from sit to stand. I think those of us who've had some anatomy, of course, but for a lot of people, that's, it's kind of a mystery. Like what makes me go from be able to stand up out of my chair? Yeah. And we know that like tuning your mind into that body part as you go from sit to stand or stand to sit makes a big difference. Yeah. If we're looking at the body, get your feet set, feel the earth. And those are concepts that I used in PT, but got a lot more grounded as I moved deeper into the yoga over the years. The earth element is a huge element for people to understand how to work with when it comes to mobility. And we have so many theoretical foundations out of Ayurveda and yoga and chakras and elements and gunas. We don't need to go into that today, but there's ancient texts that tell us why that is true. Yes. So what about another part of the physical body is the autonomic nervous system. Tell us about for an elderly person, what is it that they might learn through you and your work or any of us really that work with an elderly person about their own nervous system? Well, most yoga practitioners and people that teach yoga and yoga therapy know one of the first ways in with any population is to observe and teach people to be a little more regulated in their breathing patterns. You can learn so much about an elderly person whose muscles are getting weak. Maybe they're getting a little bit forward. As I see you sitting up, oh my, God. Put my shoulders back and put my, no, I'm not elderly yet. Um, For those of you who are listening to this, we also have a YouTube version where you can see us. So if you want to go over to YouTube, you can see me sitting up a little higher when she started talking about bending forward. Yeah. But when those things happen, because all these systems work together, we have a concept called muscle loss. There's a formal term called sarcopenia. And we start losing muscle from age 25. And by the time we get to be in our 50s, like you and I, the percentage of muscle loss per year goes up and it goes every decade beyond that. So it gets harder and harder to hold your spine up and to be able to access the real estate in my mind for breathing, to get the diaphragm to move, to allow the rib space to move, to have spinal muscles that are strong enough to support the movement on the front of the rib cage. Yeah. I even find in my fifties that I'm starting to lose that ability of the back body muscles to kind of hold me up straight. And if you're slouched over, everything's getting squished. And of course there's no room for your diaphragm to go down which then affects your nervous system, could affect anxiety, so many things if you're not breathing. Yes. And if your ribs are down, it's compressing your abdominal organs and their function. So, you know, you can talk about one thing, but everything's so interrelated. And 
what I see with elderly, what age is elderly? I don't know, because people can be our age and be very frail and elderly, depending on health conditions. So multiple systems are affected by poor breathing patterns, our digestion. I don't want to go too deep into it, but the vagus nerve has a lot to do with the regulation of the heart, the lungs, the digestion. Digestion can change greatly with someone who isn't moving very much, very much like elderly population. So sleep patterns also are affected. They have pain at night. You and I might have pain at night. And it <laughs> even my friends and I in our 50s are like, what the hell is happening? Because nobody told us. You always think, oh, that's for the old people, right? And in your mind, you're 20 or 30. You don't realize that, oh, I'm one of those now. <laughs> yeah, we have the burden of our memory, remembering how well we used to function. A lot of my senior clients say, I look in the mirror and I don't know who that is <laughs> because the skin changes. It can be so shocking because when we have such a good memory to, well, I used to be able to climb all those stairs. I don't know why I can't do it now. It's the culmination of changes in the autonomic nervous system, the muscle weakness, the changes in joints and muscles. And a lot of this can be addressed with a great yoga therapy practice that's customized to the individual and what their needs are. And maybe it's just helping them deal with pain patterns. As you're talking, I'm remembering a few months ago when I was with my dad in the hospital and he was all slouched over in his hospital bed. They had it, you know, raised at one end, but it made his body almost in a C shape. And they were giving him this little air pusher thing. I'm sure there's a name for it where you kind of blow into it really hard to kind of keep your lungs moving. They were saying every hour do 10 breaths or something. And I just couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, they need to lay him flat. He needs to inhale his arms up and over and stretch out his rib cage and let his diaphragm move. And then arms down, like do that 10 times and open up the front of the body and get things moving and then do I mean, it just seems like common sense. It does. And that's a big thing. So the tool you were talking about is a sphygmomanometer. I knew I should not attempt that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great tool for respiratory therapists to really start the lungs expanding like they should. But you as a yoga therapist could see there are a lot of things wrong here with how they are applying this treatment modality. And I think that's where our role is. They get out of the hospital. They do the best they can in the hospital as far as giving them things to keep the lungs working and keep the body moving. My mom was in the hospital for two weeks in March and they had her sitting in a chair all day. And I said, well, where's the physical therapy? Well, they come in and they, they walk her around, they stay with her for 10 or 15 minutes, and then they leave. That's not enough movement. <laughs> yeah, maybe every other day, or if you're lucky, once a day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the place for a yoga therapist is right after they get out of the hospital or right after they're done with their outpatient or in-home PT or OT or whatever other services they're getting so that we can take what we understand about the body. And this is my opinion, make it better. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I had a student that fell and broke her humerus, her upper arm bone, and they didn't want to do surgery on it. And so they asked her to be immobilized for about two months. And that totally affected the mobility of her shoulder joint when they said, you can start moving now. She was in a lot of pain and she said, can you come over? And she said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Cause we integrated breathing and movement and approaching normal movement patterns to the best of our ability, standing posture. If your shoulders immobilized for two months, it's going to affect how you stand your whole body, hiking it up and forward almost to protect it. And then helping her learn how to drop it down and back and feel safe again and breathe into that space. Yes. And I think I was overlapping a little bit with her PT visits. And I said, can you touch your opposite shoulder? And she said, well, PT never had me do that. And that's really hard. (laughs) And it's a safe range of motion to use. Yeah. Yeah, We're very gentle. Yeah. I don't want to criticize the therapist because their role is vital in people coming back to their full independence, but I think we can make it better. And that's just my opinion. Especially because, you know, a lot of times people are very limited to the number of visits they can get. So like my dad basically ran out of in-home PT, but still has this drop foot. And I said, dad, you need to call back and get them to approve six more visits. And he said, Amy, they're not going to do that. And I thought, okay, I need to get a yoga therapist over there to help him get his mind, his body, and his breath working together again. Yeah. When you think of it in those terms, like having somebody come over and work with your dad's body, breath, and mind, it doesn't call to mind the cultural norms of a yoga class where there's a group of people holding their arms out in warrior pose. That's how I envision we're going to look at this person and, and maybe break things down into smaller and smaller bits that help build the infrastructure so that you can move more freely and feel more balanced from day to day. Well, that brings us to another benefit of a yoga therapist for the elderly. It might be mental and emotional. It might be calming anxiety through breath work. It might be, you know, really anything compulsive thoughts. I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about that? We're not really getting into relationship and loneliness yet. We'll get there, but just mental and emotional patterns or habits? Well, I think that links in a little bit to how people lift themselves into the practice with me. I'll talk about it. I might put my hand between their shoulder blades as a cue to lift a little bit. Then I talk about their breathing when they're lifted. Oh, reel me back in. So I was just asking, you know, we had moved from kind of the breath and autonomic nervous system into mental states that elderly might be having. Yes, yes. So the mental states, when I work with someone for maybe an hour, and I've talked about breath for an hour, they just feel better. They don't know why, but they've had some regulation. And maybe during that hour, I talked about breathing quite constantly, when they can feel more at ease in their body, when they can self-identify where they're holding tension and maybe learn different ways to 
either release that tension or strengthen other muscle groups that support that body region in a more healthy way. I'm trying to think of if I have someone that I can think of. I have an example. Even though the physical therapist that comes to my dad is working on going upstairs and sit to stand and all this, when the physical therapist leaves and I call my dad, there's a buoyancy. Someone's been there visiting. My dad's had a sense of empowerment. He achieved something that day. There was a reason to get up in the morning. The PT is coming at 9 a.m. And we could say the yoga therapist is coming at 9 a.m. Like they're not just sitting there doing nothing all day. And then they have little exercises they can practice after we're gone. Like, oh, I'll do that some more. So I think that idea of there's a reason I got to get up this morning. I'm self-empowered. I'm seeing improvement. That is so important for elderly people. What do you think? Absolutely. Especially when retirement happens, there needs to be a reason to get up in the morning. There needs to be a sense of purpose. My mom has since passed since I described her being in the hospital. She died. But for two years prior, I had my yoga friend that lives in the same town and happened to be my mom's yoga teacher and she loved her. So I knew the relationship was there. I convinced my mother (laughs) who grew up during the depression to pay her to come over and work with her. And I know, you know, with this generation, somebody's coming over, I have to go put on my lipstick and I have to comb my hair and I have to get ready for a visitor. (laughs) But that's important. That event is an important event. And I think we underestimate that, you know, many of us are having 12 events a day, way too many. But as my dad says, when you get elderly, your world shrinks. People don't stop over. A lot of them don't call. There's just not a connection to the outside world. So to have someone come over that you need to comb your hair, get your jacket on and get your lipstick. If you wear lipstick is that's the event that could be the event of the week. Yeah. And it has a lot of buoyancy for a day or two afterward. Right. I was so thankful that mom was able to have dear Sarah come in and support her and other things. I had to coach my mom because I'm 2000 miles away from where she was living. I told her, you need to take your walker and walk up and down all the hallways. This especially started, I think, during the pandemic when there was isolation going on. I asked her to walk up and down the three floors of hallways in her building. And I never believed that she did it. I always thought she just said, yeah, I did it. (laughs) But after mom moved out of that building and I was moving some of her furniture and belongings, people stopped me in the hall and said, you know, your mom was always walking. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Well, and that isn't something that her generation would have thought was important. Why would you go outside and walk for no reason? (laughs) So, you know, sometimes when I work with people one-on-one, especially in the assisted living facility that I'm going to right now, it's a really important thing just to get them walking more, especially if they are starting to use a wheelchair for their mobility. I remember that my grandmother was 92 years old and she was still walking two miles a day. And my mind was blown by that because she had been doing it since maybe she was 60. She started then 
And her body could do that. It knew how to do that. I was shocked by that, how much muscle memory and strength she had. Yes. So what you do today is laying in that neurological foundation for remembering what to do in 30 years. I think that's a whole nother lesson that many of us don't realize and many of elderly people don't realize that the, nothing is wasted. You can start now. If you're 55 and you've never walked a mile in your life, you can start now and that's going to help you for the next 40 years. Yeah. For me, I've always walked because I have a dog. And I think if I didn't have a dog, I might not walk as much. But during the pandemic, one thing we could do is get out and walk. I must have walked all the streets around this neighborhood and left a, a groove where I walked by the same street or the same route. But I was able to walk with friends, which yeah. might be something to think about for an elderly population to find friend partners to walk with, to stay active. Part of isolating, and now I'm starting to think of isolating not so much in the realm of the pandemic and the forced isolation, but there is sort of a, an isolation that happens when you retire, when your husband dies, when most of your friends are gone. My mom was in her 90s when she died. And you don't have a reason to talk to someone and put a sentence together and really engage that part of your brain. And so phone calls are really helpful and necessary. And I kept saying, mom, you got to go down the hall to your friend and have a conversation. So she ended up watching Vikings games with her and asking her, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so there are ways. And I think yoga therapy is a great way because it involves everything. I was just thinking that like your yoga therapist could come over, you could do a 15 minute walk, then come back and do some breath work and some other movement, maybe even have tea together. I mean, a beautiful thing that you pointed out to me, I'm going to bring it up on screen right now. And we'll make this the free gift. If you look in the show notes, we give a free gift every week based on the topic of the discussion. And so Anne offered this and it's called the U.S. Surgeon General's Report on Healing Effects of Social Connection and Community for 2023. And then the title is Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. And many of you know that our Surgeon General that we have right now, Dr. Vivek Murthy, is just phenomenal. He's been on a few podcasts that have blown my mind. But this is something I want to read because the first time I heard him say this on a podcast, I was like, can that possibly be true? He says, loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. As the harmful consequences of a society that lacks social connection can be felt in our schools, workplaces, and civic organizations where performance, productivity, and engagement are diminished. I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. When I started practicing yoga and yoga therapy, those things were part of the foundational training to become a physical therapist, but we actually got to bring all that in, in my opinion, 
because there wasn't an insurance intermediary telling me how much time I could spend with someone and exactly what I should be doing with that person. Now, as a yoga therapist, I can function in a more global way for each individual and find, you know, maybe somebody likes to sit and drink some tea. Somebody else might like to do something else. (laughs) One of the things that happened for my mom toward the end was she got a UTI Mm. and it was because she wasn't drinking enough water. A UTI is a urinary tract infection or a bladder infection. And I'm always doling out water when I'm working with my clients. Or if I'm working with somebody online, I say, okay, now when you're done with that, stand in Tadasana, notice how you feel and take some water. (laughs) A cute intervention that every time you go to their house, you give them a bottle of water. Yeah. And even if it's just when they're with me and they don't adopt that habit of staying hydrated, at least they're getting some influence and maybe some positive hydration when I'm with him. <laughs> Again, laying the foundation. When I was with my dad, same thing. He wasn't drinking enough water. So I went down to the corner store and I got him a nice little new mug and I kept filling it up and putting it next to him just to help him get into that habit of taking a sip of water. So I'm imagining some 50, 60 year old kids with parents that live 2000 miles away wanting their parents to have some activity, breath work, good autonomic nervous system regulation, less anxiety, more meaning, more purpose, and not feel so lonely because there's this sense of guilt that comes. I know you and I, you know, both of our parents were and are in Minnesota and we're on the West Coast. There's this sense of kind of guilt that comes with, oh my gosh, I can't really be there on a daily basis for them. And are they lonely? And so I think having a yoga therapist visit your parent, it just hits so many, so many things. Yeah. Because when I practice as a yoga therapist, I'm there for that person. I'm trying to find what encourages them, what helps them feel like they want to get up out of the chair and go do something else. Sometimes it's one person I work with just wants to visit for a good portion of our time. And I've, I, we got to go, we got to move. Do you though? Yeah. I mean, do you? I, mean I, I kind of feel like if that's, of course we want our parents to move, but if the most meaningful thing of their work is their 40 minutes of talking with Aeon about things that matter and having her give empathy and listen, maybe that's just as important as trying to get up the stairs. Yeah. You're right. Yes, absolutely. I have a lot of young clients that want that too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's that connection Mm -hmm. that is so important. And again, that's why I love functioning as a yoga therapist, because it can go the route it needs to go for that greater good of that person. Well, let's hit the last layer of the human system, as we say in yoga therapy, a sense of potentially helping them find something that's sacred or precious or spiritual, or if they have a religion or a God that they want to connect with, do you bring that in at all? Or do most people kind of want to keep that separate? Well, it depends on the person. I'm thinking of one person who's somewhat agnostic. He doesn't need that stuff, but the spiritual part that comes through for him is just connecting soul to soul with me. He was hospitalized while I was back visiting my mom and he was 
I won't describe what was happening for him, but he kept going, where's Anne? I don't want to miss our appointment tomorrow. And that wasn't like an ego comment. That was, I think I do touch people spiritually just by having those frank conversations. And I can say things really frankly with people after we develop our rapport. I have a number of students that are Christian. And so I do try to be a little bit careful about what direction I go with words so that it doesn't sound as though I'm trying to indoctrinate them into something because that puts people in a protective mode. So I try to find poetry, like maybe Mary Oliver that talks a lot about nature. They love to hear me chant a little chant at the end of a session sometimes. And they say, oh, oh, what I want today is that we have a chant at the end. And so it has to fit for them. And they will let me do some Sanskrit chants, but sometimes it's, you know, the translation into English, peace, calm, serenity chanted, you know, something that fits for them and helps them feel like, oh, that grounded feeling. I grew up in a Methodist church as a kid, and I remember listening to the sermon and hearing the choir and participating in the hymns, which I think is a nice exhale practice for calming. (laughs) You feel so much more connected when you're done. And I think it is whenever two people are together, there is spirit there. I hear this all the time with the people I know that work with elderly. They want them to go on vacations. They want to bring their yoga therapist on vacations. They want their yoga therapist coming to the hospital. They they really get attached. And one theory I have is that so many relationships in our lives, we have to give something. There's a lot of strings attached. I can't do this because that will upset this family member. And I can't talk about that because that'll upset that family member. And it seems to me the yoga therapists I know are the one neutral person that doesn't have all those strings attached to everyone they know. So they can be more honest, more authentic. They can work through stuff that they can't talk about with other people in in a more neutral way. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Navigating family dynamics is a little bit like walking on eggshells and, oh, I can say that with that kid, but not with the other kid. And I remember mom saying some things like that. And I know she had some visits with a dear cousin and they shared some books and they'd talk about books together and they could be very frank with each other. And the same with the yoga teacher that came in, they could be very frank. And I talked with the yoga teacher and she said, Sarah, who worked with my mom, she said, you know what? We have a really strong connection and that's good. I don't know what, I don't need to know what that connection is as long as mom had it. Exactly. I think especially at the end of life, there may be some things you want to work through before you go. Yeah. Something you can say to somebody that you would never say to your kids. (laughs) Or even, I don't know, I want to say this to my kids, but I don't know how. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I try to bring that in. Sometimes it's throughout the whole session. Sometimes it's just an acknowledgement at some formal part of the session where we do acknowledge spirit or connection or universe, whatever it needs to be called for that person. And have you had clients that then transition through death? 
I have not been there for that. Yeah. Um, I guess I meant preparation, maybe not the actual moment, but do you have some that have passed on that you no longer work with? There are clients that have passed, but I was not part of the active transition, but I did go to their funerals and I had to bring a box of Kleenex because I got to hear even more about them in the stories the family told and how they'd all chuckle. Remember she used to say this or (laughs) I love connecting with my clients that way. And is there anything that's really difficult about the work that you do? Oh, it's always difficult if someone dies and you have to say goodbye to them. But that's, you know, as I, I know, that's part of the human experience. Sometimes it's, I don't think it's really difficult. I, for years, I'd struggled with it. And then I finally just said, you know what? They're not going to be able to learn that new thing right now. They're not here for me to come and fix them. They need me to help them engage and feel better and find a way to be more balanced. And Maybe the difficult part is me transitioning expectations or wanting outcomes and just letting them be a little bit more of the guide. Yeah, just being present to them. Yeah. I would imagine for many, many people, that might be the first time in their life that someone is present for them to let them do the thing they need to do without a big agenda or expectations of them. Yeah. I think the difficulty for me is low because I love what I do. That's an interesting question. I, it doesn't really feel that difficult, but Good. yeah. There's some people that aren't naturally, you know, having this affinity to elderly people. It's not easy. It is kind of like, I can't wait to get out of here. This is uncomfortable. They're moving slow. They're talking slow. Their body isn't functioning well. So, I, you know, going back to your kind of origin story about having older parents and then spending time with your grandparents and your father having polio, probably that dharmic or life purpose was maybe laid down very early for you. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels so natural and comfortable for me. I think the hardest part for me in the last month or so since losing my mom is recognizing how close I may be to my own mortality. And my skin is changing and my joints are changing, even though I'm really active. And I can feel it coming. And I have to work hard every day to make the best out of whatever those changes are going to be in my life. I am with you there. (laughs) I am hundred percent on that page. I don't know about you, Anne, but I'm feeling a serious spurt in my spiritual growth. I think as a result of it, that I'm letting things go. I'm not being so perfectionistic, I'm being more forgiving and compassionate and just saying, okay, they're having a bad day. It's not about me. Like I'm seeing as my body and minds decline a bit, I'm seeing this other part of me that I don't want to say I'm proud of, because that sounds a little weird, but like, wow, I was never that patient until now. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's the beginning stages of did Desika Char describe it as children are in the, oh, with the doshas, kapha, because they're absorbing information. Yeah. And that midlife that you were describing, more pitta, 
And now the vata becomes more clear to us. Maybe it's autumn-like for us. And I welcome it. I too had my moments where I was like, I can't believe that person did that without consulting physical therapy in a corporate hospital setting, for instance. But now I'm I just let that stuff go. I'm not in that setting that maybe that's part of it. Maybe you coming out of university and being a little more your own boss makes a big difference. There's not that much that fluffs me up anymore and gets me fired in a direction of righteousness or anything. And I love it. I love being able to just be and accept what is. And I think that's part of why I like working with geriatrics because they're kind of low key. You know, I would tell mom, I can't come on this date. I have to come another date. And she's like, okay, whatever. Going back to Deskachar, this final phase of life, it's really all about detachment, not from love and humans, but detachment from expectations, detachment from the things you could once do that you can no longer do detachment from all the different identities that we've formed over a lifetime and just being okay with what is because there's no other option really resistance is futile <laughs> that's right that's right and it's a lovely place to be and and I hope I can continue to keep that attitude if I can keep all my systems functioning fairly well and have the support around me that I need yeah so is there any secret for maybe someone who's just coming up as a yoga teacher or yoga therapist and has said, I really have this affinity towards elderly people and I want to try working with them, whether they go to a, an elder home or do privates in the home. Is there any secrets or anything that you could share? Any words of wisdom? Well, I think I touched on some during the discussion, but I think the best thing you can do is realize that elderly people have a lot of complicated changes going on in their body. Not that younger people don't, but there's a nervous system that doesn't read things the same that it used to. The muscles aren't as strong. The bones may not be as strong. The joints may not be supported as well because the muscles are changing conditions come up with aging that can come on really quickly. So it's important to, like I mentioned that my mom had had a UTI and signs of a UTI with someone in their nineties is they have sort of dementia like changes in their personality. So you might come in to a situation where this person isn't behaving like they normally would. And so that's a sign to be very alert and maybe call the family or call the nurse and say something's different here. So I think it's really important to get a good grasp on the acuity of this population because you might think it's kind of low key. It's really easy. We don't have to work that hard, but I think it's a lot more challenging than you might think. Well, you just gave another reason why it's good to have a yoga therapist come in once or twice a week to report back to the family, hey, something has shifted since I was here on Tuesday that I think you need to be paying attention to. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> yeah. And I've been listening to people talk about this topic for a few years now. And in addition to attending the funerals, I've found that a lot of yoga therapists 
actually stay connected to that whole family even after the person has gone because you've been such an important part of their loved one's life that through you, they stay connected to their loved one that's passed on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great connection too. It's people you may never have known and it's a quality of connection that sort of keeps the memory of that person alive for the family, for you. Because I think as a yoga therapist, we get paid for what we do, but we also, we're in it. We're, we've got skin in the game as far as like, my heart's in this. Absolutely. And I have to say, because we can make our own schedules for most of the time and we have more autonomy and maybe we're not as burnt out as some other healthcare workers that have to get so many people in per hour and kind of, I do think we can afford to put that heart in the game. Yeah. I don't think you could not, at least in my system, I could not be engaged in that way. It's not that I'm falling in love with them, but those heartstrings of humanity, that connection, the, the human experience and this unique person and how they express that for you and how you interact to help find a way to help them feel their best. Yeah. So, Anne, are there any last words of wisdom that you want to share before I share your website and and let people know how they could get a hold of you? I think one of the things is helping the older generation. I don't know how else to say that. What age do we call elderly, like I mentioned earlier, to develop sort of a state of mindfulness? The rate of change for all the systems is different and the systems affect each other. And just helping people learn how to be mindful of changes, not just the family, but trying to train the client to understand those changes. You mentioned your dad had foot drop. There are a lot of implications to that. And so safety and wholeness and boy, we cover a lot, spiritual connection. That's the biggest message that I would have, I think helping them create coping mechanisms in their lifestyle. Yeah. Well, and let's share your website in case anyone would like to get to know more about you, work with you. I see your website is therapeutic yoga with Anne, dot com. And you'd said there's no www in front of that. It's just therapeutic yoga with Anne. And you offer online classes, therapeutic yoga online classes, but also individual private classes too, I assume. Yes. I used to, when I owned a brick and mortar, I was a lot more engaged with group classes and I like the balance better now. It's fewer group classes and more one-on-one. I feel a lot more effective now. Mm. I think that's you know, of everything that we've discussed today, this is not a group yoga class where you're going to go and lift your arm up and down and and walk. This is tailor-made on all the layers, physical, breath, mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual, tailor-made connection to that human being. Yeah. Super fun. (laughs) It is super fun. Many days I pinch myself and think, do I really get to do this for a living? So 
Yeah, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to have somebody trust you enough to guide them through this, this path to wholeness, or at least as much wholeness as we can muster up together in a session. Yeah. Thank you, Anne, for being with us today. It's just really been a sweet conversation. And I, I wish every elderly person could have an ad in their lives. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Amy. You have been an inspiration for me. And maybe there are some subliminal messages through Minnesota coming through um, that have drawn me to you. So I feel so blessed that I found you. <laughs> Be well. I want to thank Anne for being with us today. I just loved her calm composure I would trust her with my parents, just talking slow, moving slowly, breathing slowly, just gave me a, a sense of feeling safe. And I think that's probably what we all want for our loved ones. The other thing that I'm reflecting on after listening to Anne is something she touched very briefly on, but I think it's really important. And that is that as we observe our loved ones aging and possibly even going through the death process, it really reflects back to us that we may not have that long and that we are losing function. And I think when you're in your 20s and your 30s and maybe even in your 40s, that is not something I thought about. I was head down in my career and getting things done. Like it was not something that ever occurred to me. And now in my 50s, having gone through health issues myself and watching my parents, I'm realizing just how precious each and every single day is. And I've been doing yoga nidra quite a bit to help my nervous system come into balance and developing the optimal state yoga nidra program to help others do the same and I think those quiet times of reflection every day and just checking in and breathing slowly and feeling during the yoga nidra session, which by the way, I think would be wonderful to tape for our elderly loved ones. But I know for me, it's given me this time to kind of slow down and, and realize that all of us have a limited time here and being very conscious about the choices I make where I want to live, how I want to live, who I'm spending time with, how do I want to eat, how much work do I want to take on or not take on, like all of that's become very conscious because I'm watching my loved ones go through illness and possibly death and dying. And I just wanted to, you know, point that out that as as we move into our later years, I think having time and space for ourselves, even if we're not the primary caretaker of an elderly person, it's important so that we can fulfill our life purpose and have more meaning and slow down enough to be conscious about our choices in this last 20, 30, 40 years that we have left. So I leave you with that and I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to being with you again next week. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. 
Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.